On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, your prayers will carry on longer than you. Welcome to having a relationship with an eternal God. We're about to disagree with almost all of our favorite theologians with great fear and trembling, and uh, we're going to talk about gay rights. So who's up for a good old-fashioned shadow ban? It's episode 62. Turn it up! You look like you're bracing for impact over there. I am. <laughs> I feel the shadow band coming. Yeah, well, this is... Dude, I was sitting there, like, printing up these show notes, and I was thinking, I am so glad we decided not to monetize this thing, because <laughs> this is this is where some, some snowflake with no job and no prospects for relationships and no pants on and nothing to do would be, like, combing the internet looking for somebody that says something, you know, resembling a Christian sex ethic, and they would be like, yeah... They, you know, get us all demonetized. Or well, something. you heard what we were they were doing over at uh, First Baptist in Jacksonville, Florida, right? I don't think so. Oh, Heath Ledger, they, they, not Heath Ledger. Excuse me, Heath Ledger is no longer among the living. Um, Heath Lambert, who's the pastor there, mm-hmm. uh, and and their their elders, they came up with a statement on biblical sexuality. Standard Christian statement. Right, it's been done right? many times. It's been done a million times. Nothing, nothing taking, you know, in fact, it wasn't even denying anything. It was saying, this is what biblical sexuality oh, is. Oh, I heard about that. And then and then the local paper and everybody just took them to task. I didn't realize that was a Heath Lambert thing. Yeah. He's, okay. Yeah, and then and then um, he just said, well, you know what, tell you what, let's invite these people. They actually invite, they threw up an open mic um, members meeting and there were people that would come in, and he would say, "This is." He he gave a very very winsome, um, kind discussion, and mm-hmm. he led a very winsome kind of discussion, even with people who were calling him all kinds of names. It oh, was sure, impressive. It gets ugly. Yeah, yeah I, I actually read the thing that I saw that article, and I'm like, "Oh, geez, here we go." Because I figured it was going to be a Westboro Baptist thing, like you know, in order to be a member of this church, you have to you have to proclaim at least on a weekly basis that God hates fags, you know, or something like that. And I was just like, oh, geez, here we go. Because those guys are always saying stupid stuff like that, you know? And and so, but then I read it and I'm like, wait a second, this is just basic Bible. Yeah. I I thought he did good. They did good. I thought that was fine. In the statement, there's nothing like that. And, And even the idea that members need to affirm, it's like, look, you're a member of our church and you understand this is what our church now. Yeah. Is, is, is about, we want the, we don't want there to be any question there shouldn't have had to been a good question before, but yeah, hey, but here we are, right? But and 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 that's the problem. And oftentimes, when we look at doctrinal statements, they are they are fixed in time. We, sometimes we have to speak specifically about certain topic topics in the culture in which we live. Theology so, yeah. doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? The, the gospel not. is meant to be, and doctrine is meant to be deployed in the world in which we live. So you gotta you gotta shoot the right bullets at the right targets, right? Mm-hmm. Speaking of which. We got to reclaim some of those bullets and targets once in a while because they get misunderstood. Uh, sometimes over the course of hundreds of years, which is why we are dedicating this episode to the Puritans. Yes, the Puritans. I personally feel that the Puritans get a really bad rap because of the whole Salem witch trial thing. And that's all you ever hear about in school. We read an Arthur Miller play, and then they tell you about how the Puritans didn't let uh, didn't let women show their foreheads, which isn't actually true. Um, and you know, they, they were like, they had this repressive sex ethic and things like that. And they're like, and they burned witches. Let me just set the history straight on this. The Puritans were awesome. They were rad. If you actually, as a Christian, go and read Puritan theology, you are going to have your soul singing. You're not going to agree with them on everything. They were, you know, if you're not a post-millennialist, you're going to disagree with their eschatology. If you're not a Calvinist, you're going to disagree with their soteriology. Uh, you know, they're, and again, 
the social context was different. So I'm not saying you should just lap it all up like a golden retriever. I'm just saying these guys knew how to worship. They knew how to pray. They knew how to exposit scripture like nobody's business. And when they went wrong, there were self-correcting mechanisms within Puritanism that we should all appreciate. So we reclaim the Puritans. The Salem witch trials, by the way, um, was like five dudes at the very end of the movement. And movements always get weird at the end. And it was these five dudes in the Northeast, which, you know, and, and they just kind of went off the reservation and... Wait, wait, maybe it wasn't five dudes. Maybe it was, it was more than that. It was like a couple of churches of guys, but they ended up killing five people. I think it was drowning them as witches. So yeah, some stuff got out of hand. Let's not write off the whole movement. The Puritans are awesome. We appreciate you guys. Or interpret history based upon a narrative that was published as a play. AKA Hamilton. Come on now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And this, this episode is jointly dedicated to every historical revisionist in the world Repent and receive wisdom. What? I said. <laughs> Sorry, I should have read the uh, the text there. I was getting a call from my wife, and I was thinking this might be important. Should I take it? We're we recording, and anyway. If she calls back a second time, I'm going to take it, and I'm not hitting stop. We're going to see where this goes. I'm going to say, hi, honey. You're on a podcast. <laughs> Click. That's all, that's all she's going to say. <laughs> going to hang up. Yeah, and then she's not going to feed me dinner tonight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Proverbs 4, verses 14 through 17. Last week, we only did 14 and 15. Here's what we got. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it, and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil, and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Man, don't be that guy. What's that guy? Who is this guy? He just can't be okay unless he's causing mayhem in his own life and in the life of others. I have some theories on the issue. These guys, that they, they have to walk the path of wickedness. They, they have to do evil, right? They literally can't sleep if everything is in order. It's like this guy, he gets anxious and antsy and has to go create chaos somewhere. My theory on this is that a lot of times what's going on is that they have to create these survival situations because when they wake up the next day, they feel like they've won. Just surviving another day of a living hell that is your life counts as some kind of accomplishment. And that's the only accomplishment that they feel they are able to achieve. And so they just keep recreating it for themselves. So this generic guy we're talking about who makes his own life a living hell so that he can accomplish something and, of course, makes everyone else's life uh, just as miserable as his. That line, you know, they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. That's really insightful about this guy, you know, because there's a predatory element to um, an addiction to chaos, right? It's like they have to dominate something. They have to drag someone else into their garbage and... For them, that's what power feels like, right? So I've got this this neighbor who just loves to ruin people's day. You can literally see her face gaining joy from the bizarre interactions that she instigates with people, right? It's very strange. A distant neighbor. If you if you live on my street and you're listening to me, I'm not talking about you. Um, but <laughs> I, I've said this before on another episode. I love all of the neighbors on my street. We got some great neighbors. This one that lives around the corner... They might come around. So you guys know the type, right? They cause problems. They make everyone mad. They throw them off. And then they go back into their home and they think about how right they were. And they grimace and they smile, you know. 
So the, the whole confrontation was unnecessary, but they seemed to thrive on it. And Solomon's point is, don't be that guy. Weak. Lame. Just say no. But does he give a better option instead? Because, you know, we should expect that in the Bible. Rather than just, no, thou shalt not. We should expect an alternative because the Bible is full of wisdom. And Solomon does exactly that here. So the book of Proverbs is full of healthy, God-honoring alternatives to being the habitual drama queen. And when I say queen, I am referring to you guys that are addicted to drama as well because you're not acting like men. But let me venture outside of Proverbs for this one. Ephesians 2.10. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he planned out beforehand that you might walk in them. So the alternative to being a drama queen is get your mission from Christ, bro. Live out your, or, or sis, live out your purpose. If, if you're the drama queen, let me help you through this for a second. I'm going to walk you out of this because your behavior is maddening to yourself, counterproductive. It's a waste of life and it's annoying to everybody around you. So let me help you walk out of this. Think about it this way. Every minute you spend on complaining about relational problems, every inflammatory text message you send, every time you say something that could be summarized with the words not fair or it's not my fault or I didn't do anything or whatever, that's time you're never going to get back. And you could be affecting the world around you in ways that no one can do except you. Because you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he planned out beforehand that you might walk in them. I can't do these works for you any more than you can do the works that he's lined out for me. Not only are you wasting your life, but you're depriving the world of who God made you to be. Because he made you to be a certain way to have a certain effect on the world around you. And that ain't it. The Holy Spirit didn't give you a spiritual gift of whining. You know what I mean? So like, please pass by that road. Come and help me with your spiritual gifts. Help us. Help the church. Help your neighbors. Help the world. Help us save the world in Christ's name. Help us bless people. Help us alleviate suffering. Help us in ways that only you can. How do you do that? What's your first step? Well, I'll tell you. What you're going to do is you're going to come into my office or Ben's office or somebody, you know, one of your pastors or your community group leader or whoever. If, if you're somewhere else and I'm not your pastor or we're not your pastors, then you're going to go into your pastor's office. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk in and you're going to start with these words. I'm exhausted. Just decide to be exhausted of all of the drama and all the nonsense, right? So you, you let us or him or her or whatever walk you through repentance, You'll find forgiveness, you'll find grace, you'll pray and ask for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be made known to you, and then you'll walk in obedience to whatever the Lord shows you in the text of Scripture, and you'll end up being an irreplaceable, indispensable blessing to the world around you. Or you could keep causing drama, because you can't do both. So listen to Solomon. Get exhausted with evil, run towards Christ, and we, by the way, are here to help. We love doing this. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to show you the drop. Not really. I just got excited about that drop. Anyway, we're going to show you some uh, some basics of Christian living here. And uh, we're going to start with some prayers from church history. I opened up with this line about how your prayers are going to last longer than you. And we, there is a book of Puritan prayers called the Valley of Vision. There's actually a couple of them now. They've released Piercing Heaven. Um, also, uh, what's it called? There's one, it's, it's, it's the same, basically the same series, but it's prayers from the early church. So the first few hundred years of Christianity, and they just got the prayers of these guys. Really, really good stuff. So I brought with me my copy of The Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan prayers. And if you don't have The Valley of Vision, you should get The Valley of Vision, you should read The Valley of Vision. This thing is really cool because, here, you want to just flip? You can almost pick one at random. Um, 
because they're they're short. They're usually a page, page and a half long with big print. Like you read them in a minute. But these guys, these Puritans, they wound up praying about things that we normally wouldn't think to pray about, right? And they're so scripturally rich and all of this kind of stuff. It's just a great thing. So you can pray along. I mean, we did a whole episode on this, on on how to pray, and we gave Valley of Vision a big shout out. But you can you can use these as prayer prompts. You can pray along with these guys and say amen with dudes that have been dead for 500 years. So it's, it's a, or 400, I guess. It's a really, really helpful tool, and it's a soul feeder. So I am here with the most puritanical man that I know, the illustrious Bearded Beaver, Pastor Ben. Good to be with you, sir. Good day, sir. Good I'm day. also here with our producer, whose name is Tim, and whose provisional nickname, pending the approval of his wife, is the Vanilla Gorilla. Good to see you, buddy. Yes, and the, this is where the gorilla chant comes in. I'm working on that. <laughs> you need, you, not only do you need a nickname, you need a theme chant. <laughs> yeah, right. Is that what we're going to start doing? We're going like, to have all these like theme songs when you introduce different people. It's like a baseball game. We walk out to the plate. And- yeah. I want mine to be Right Now by Van Halen. Oh. Hey, it's your tomorrow. There we go. Read, read us a prayer from the Valley of Vision so we can expose our listening audience to this. All right. So this is uh, from, the, the, the title of this particular one is Evening Renewal. Evening Renewal. My Father, if thy mercy had bounds, where would be my refuge from just wrath? But thy love in Christ is without measure. Thus I present myself to thee with sins of commission and omission against thee, my Father, against thee, adorable Redeemer, against thee and thy strivings, O Holy Spirit, against the dictates of my conscience, against the precepts of thy word, against my neighbors and myself. Enter not into judgment with me. For I plead no righteousness of my own, and I have no cloak for iniquity. Pardon my day dark with evil. This night I renew my penitence. Every morning I vow to love thee more fervently, to serve thee more securely, to be more devoted in my life, to be wholly thine. Yet I soon stumble, backslide, and have to confess my weakness, misery, and sin. But I bless thee, I bless thee that the finished work of Jesus needs no addition from my doings, that his oblation is sufficient satisfaction for my sins. If future days be mine, help me to amend my life, to hate and abhor evil, to flee the sins I confess, make me more resolute, more watchful, more prayerful. Let no evening let no evil fruit spring from my evil seeds in my hands that I have sown. Let no neighbor be hardened in vanity and folly by want of circumspection. If this day I have been ashamed of Christ and his word or have shown unkindness, malice, envy, lack of love, unadvised speech, hasty temper, let it be no stumbling block to others. Wow. Or dishonor to thy name. Oh, help me to set an upright example that will ever rebuke vice, allure to goodness, and evidence that lovely are the ways of Christ. Kablooey. Dang. That, wow. 
Yeah, and that was a random sample that you just yeah. flipped open. The whole thing's like that. Yeah. I, I but love those books. That, that confession, right? My sins of omission and commission, right? So I'm, it's both the things that I do and the things that I've withheld, and they are against the Trinity, against my own conscience, against the law of God, and against the neighbors and myself. That is like some serious... Like that's diving deep into 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 confession. It's not just that yep. that I've I've hurt my neighbors or I've I've sinned, but that's like that's Excuse like straight up I've sinned against the divine Trinity. Yeah, man. Wow. That that's reckoning with the reckoning with the true darkness of our own evil. Yeah. And the thing I like about that, he wasn't blaming Satan. Yep. He wasn't like you know I was deceived. It was the woman. It was the man. Yeah. It was the snake. It was no. He's just like I need salvation. Yeah. I love that. But I bless thee that the finished work of Jesus needs no addition from my doings. Boom. First wow. John 1, 9. Amen. Come on, Amen baby. That, Come on. Right? And that his oblation, which is an awesome <laughs> we're, word. No, no, we're doing the whole thing again. Yep. It's sufficient <laughs> oh, satisfaction from my sins, though. I mean, come on. We're getting whipped with the beaver tail now. Woo! <laughs> All right. Anyway. All right. So we got some this, is and that. We got some pastoral questions. We got some Bible questions, various theological and cultural questions. Tim. Coming in. Lay it on. Number one. From Darius are pictures of Christ, a violation of the second commandment, what about the chosen or other movies about Jesus, the Second Commandment? So can I, go. can I just start out with a a big I'm sorry to the late great J.I. Packer and R.C. Sproul. I just want to say I'm sorry to most of the reformers who have ever lived. I just want to say I'm sorry to all of the greatest theologians that I can think of from church history, because I'm about to disagree with them, which means I'm probably wrong, but. I'm putting the scriptures together in a certain way, and I think if I'm reading the scriptures right, then I'm correct on this. So, do you do you and I agree on this one? I don't know if we do. Interesting. Have you watched The Chosen? I have not. W- would you, given that there's an image of Christ or a depiction of Christ? Um, I'll get into that. Hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Well, how about this? How about I lay out my basic premise Sounds without good. too much explanation, and then we'll we'll bat it around and see if there is a, a brotherly conflict brewing. Um, there might be no unity in the body of Christ. Okay, so the second commandment, right? No graven images. You do not get to have any graven images. You shall not make an image of me of anything that is um, that is on the earth. And basically the reason for that is because there's nothing that you can point to and say, oh yeah, God's like that. Because God is holy, right? He's not like any of his creation. There's a creator-creation distinction. And he says, I want you to maintain this because otherwise, if you make, you know, like the pagan religions were doing in the day and still do, um, you know, you make a, an image of a bird or a statue of a man or whatever, that's that's bringing God down to, to fit. I mean, I'm so sick of this saying, but you know what I mean? Like to put God in a box, right? Yeah. Like God is not contained in the image of that. And so he just said, no, don't, don't treat me like some, um, you know, demigod of the pagan religions. I'm not like that. I'm above all of creation. So he, he said in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, what do you got? May I read Exodus 20 oh, verse 4? Just give us some. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Yeah. The reason I wanted to read that is the prohibition is really about making an idol no matter what it looks like. 
and letting that idol be your God as opposed to don't make a picture of me. Okay. Right. Well, but how could you picture the invisible God, right? And so that's the thing is when you try, you're, you're necessarily going to be wrong. Well, and you do see the, the, uh, the big problem with the golden calf. Right. right, because because just after essentially Moses receives the law, and after being impatient because they're they they haven't heard back from Moses, they apparently need something to worship. Right, it's all and, they had known. Yeah, and yeah. all they had known, and so and so then you know Aaron gets along, gathers all the gold and everything like that, and apparently throws it in the fire, and a, and a calf pops out, <laughs> which is totally you know hilarious. Yeah. But but in the in the sense of you know what this he even attributes Yahweh. Yep. To that particular he, idol. He says, this is Yahweh that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Yeah. Which is just like, oh, snap. Yeah. So they're saying, this is what Yahweh looks like. Moses says, that's a hard no, right? Yes. Well, God says through Moses, don't even think about it. Don't even approach it. Hard pass. Now, yeah. Now, my so my basic take on this is that Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is, is the exact representation, or in some translations, the exact imprint of the nature of God. Colossians 2 says, it, well, 1 and 2 really say this, but Colossians 1 says that in, no, 2, says that in him the fullness of God dwells bodily. And when people were looking at Jesus walk around in the flesh, they were looking at the image of God, right? Colossians, or 2 Corinthians 4 says that the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. And so when, um, when, the incarnation happened. We had the image of God, and his Jesus. name was and his name was Jesus. Right? Jesus tells Thomas, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." Right? Exactly. Well, yeah, Philip. He tells Philip uh, that, and and thank you. but but Thomas Thomas admits it though. Right? He looks at him. He says, "My Lord and my God." So then we're in John one eighteen, where he says, "No one has seen God at any time." He, obviously referring to God the Father there, because he had just said in in verse one that you know in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god but then he says in verse 18 no one has seen god at any time but jesus right the son who is in the bosom of the father he has shown him to us he has exegeted him to us exegiomai is the the greek word there which means to exegete to to show what is there and so i think jesus is the image of god and that's the scandal of the whole thing. The, the scandal, to, I know it's an overused word by, you know, CCM musicians and stuff, but the scandal of the whole thing is not that man made an image of God. It's that God actually put an image on himself, which he had never allowed anybody to do before. So then are pictures of Jesus creating an image of God? Well, I would say no, not necessarily, but we can make an idol out of anything, so we need to be careful. So, for example, you get the whole icons debate in the 700s with John of Damascus and so on, and he's like, no, worshiping icons is okay because we're not really worshiping the the picture. We're worshiping what it represents and, and who it represents and who it reminds us of. And then you wind up with that just leading instantly into Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy idolatry where they're just praying to statues and lighting candles in front of portraits and things like that. So can it get idolatrous? Yes, but so can a good, uh, a good, healthy respect for the Bible. You can worship the Bible instead of worshiping God. So I don't think that the fact that there's a danger there necessarily means there's a breaking of the commandment. In short, I say that Jesus is the image of God, and so to um, to um, have an image of to to have a representation of an image that God already made would not be a breaking of the commandment. If you form an idol, if you, a Jesus bobblehead doll, I think breaks the second commandment. Right when you trust it for a good parking spot at at Costco or something, I think that's idolatry. But the chosen, I would not put in that category. Now, the typical reformed theologian, 
J.I. Packer, you know, R.C. Sproul, these guys, they would kick back and say, Jesus is God. Therefore, an image of Jesus is an image of God. Don't do it. R.C. Sproul wrote these children's books where um, it never pictured Jesus, right? So like Jesus would be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, but it would show it from Jesus' perspective with the head of the donkey, the back of the donkey's head because he didn't want to picture Jesus. So um, in, in one of the greatest books ever written, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. He's got a whole chapter on this, and he lays it out very articulately, yeah. and he's got a good case for it. I just I, I just can't quite get there because the fact is God gave us somebody to look at. And so if it's, if it's a sin for us, it must have also been a sin for the apostles to stare him in the face when he was here. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that it is a violation and I, I don't disagree with, with a, a lot of that. What I, what I find myself is, and, and I, and I'm going to base this off of more personal experience than anything else. Um, Fair enough. uh, I, I do think, and I, and I sympathize with J.I. Packer because it's, it's very difficult sometimes, especially when, when I was younger to, as I'm, as I'm praying, um, to see, and I'm praying and I'm, I'm thinking about my Lord to start to see that, you know, again, the traditional white Jesus, that's very European yep. looking off in the, in the, into the distance, right. You know, that's, this picture is, 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 you know, replete throughout, you know, Baptist churches and probably other churches in the area. And African churches exactly, and Chinese right? churches. Yeah. So I think that, I think that that's a, that that is a issue in the sense of a depiction of Christ, which to which people associate some kind of, um, there's a close association with that. Like I'm, I'm thinking about that guy. In other words, my concept of Jesus being informed by this picture. Are you saying right that that it brings Jesus down to, or it brings God down Not to our guy. level? Is that where you're, where you're going? Maybe with a that? little bit, uh, but but I think also the the part, and this is where, the, for example, I've I've chosen not to watch the chosen, or um, I've I you know for example I I used to have, and every once in a while on Good Friday I'd I'd watch the Passion of the Christ. The problem was is that I couldn't close my eyes and pray to my Savior without seeing Jim Caviezel's face. Okay, so couldn't it, do it. So it was a problem for you. It was a problem for me. It was a problem. I was associating that with Jim Caviezel's face with Jesus. And, and it actually got to the point where I actually ascribed a holiness to Jim Caviezel because I liked an awful lot of his other works. And I was like, oh, man, I think he's so great. And it's just like, and I was like, wait a minute. Am <laughs> I assigning something to this particular actor because of a role he portrayed? Right. So for me, when I when I when I think about this this first commandment, I don't want really to I don't want to associate a face with my savior. I think the scriptures have given me clearly a, a clear description of who my savior is, and I'm just I don't and I'm just gonna trust in that. I don't wanna I don't want to I don't want to bring it down. Now I will make I'm gonna sound like a hypocrite, and I admit that. I will make a slight a slight deviation from that when it comes to, for example, like children's storybook Bibles. I think in some ways as 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 Kids are learning and things like that. A, a depiction of Christ, preferably not one that's just you know this this white dude with the robe, yeah. you know a depiction Norwegian of, Jesus. Yeah, Norwegian yeah, exactly. You 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 know there's there are some ways in which we can describe these things for our children, and then being very visually oriented, we can we can describe these things. But I just there's something about an actual human being portraying Jesus that I I struggle with. Now that's. That's my personal reflection on it. Um, do I hold that as a? Do I say the chosen is violating the second commandment? And anybody who's watching it is is in violation of the second commandment. I'm not. I'm not going to go there. Why not? But I just like where, what yeah. I'm getting at is where's the line? Because if if you have a face 
in your head. Now, forget about Jim Caviezel for a second, because I understand the problem you're getting at there. Totally yeah. agree. Um, that's that's reascribing, right? Yeah. But if you've got a if you've got a human face in your head, and that's that's having the effect of um, replacing what the Bible tells you about who Christ is, then the the disciples, I mean, they had a face in their head as they were praying as well, right? Because they had seen him, and so they were not. Yeah, but, but they saw the real one. Well, right? th- but that's that's where I'm getting though. Like they they had they had memories. Let's just say scripture in their head, right? I mean, these, a lot of these guys wrote the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. they're they've got a picture of who they're talking to, and it was not just informed by the written word; it was informed by their visual experiences. Mm-hmm. So, is it wrong for us? Yeah, the, you see the reaction to that when they see him transfigured. Mm-hmm. They want to make altars right there. Yeah, when they see Jesus in His glory, they're like, "Yeah, let's do something right here." I mean, I'm just saying the reaction to that visual thing is to. Um, they were ready to make an idol out of it. Well, well that, so was, that was, wasn't an that idol. That was tense. They were they were looking to tent, they were looking to camp on the mountain. Yeah, that wasn't an idol. That was that was a response of worship. And he was just saying it's not time yet. But that, that's essentially they thought heaven had come to earth, and they were like, let's do this thing, right? Well, okay. I'm just saying the reaction to seeing him in his glory was more the point. So yeah, we can discuss that later, and I can. Yeah. Well, so my my question is then, where's why why put the line there and not somewhere else? Why not just go all the way and say it it conflicts with my conscience because I think it's because I think I'm breaking the second commandment when I do this. I'm being a little bit like, you know, antagonistic here, but I'm just trying to see where where the line is because God gives us 10 commandments and you're either breaking them or you're not, and yet the human heart is complex to the degree where sometimes it takes some reflection to know if we're actually breaking them. Like are you actually breaking the first commandment? Well, at some point like on on some level, at all times, yes. yes. This right? is and this is where I'm I'm not. So the commandment, right, is you shall not craft an idol and bow down and worship it, okay. right? Which is I, I think different than um, than me having a mental picture and 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 not I, I or or me for example I would not. I'm not. I, I. I'm not. It's not coming off the dome like I like it normally mm. does here. It's a complex issue. Yeah. I mean, you know, because any any sensory input we have can be idolatrous. Yeah. Right. I mean, so you and I have had this issue where people want to sing certain songs in church because that's really when the spirit moves. Now, in that case, it's auditory, right? If we sing these songs, revival will come because that's what happened last time, or you know that um, that absolute pile of garbage song that came out of uh what's what's the band out of bethel reading um uh, jesus culture mm-hmm. you know holy spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and fill the atmosphere like th- that is that is a theological diaper fire that song but people are like oh you know if we sing this then the holy spirit will be honored and he'll show up and he'll move because he's not moving right now and whatever and so you know in that case it's auditory or it's participatory or whatever so i understand the the danger that this that this goes towards and what we need to guard against. My contention would be we'd have to guard against that no matter how we're engaging God, right? When I'm praying sometimes, you'll get that that just kind of, you know, joy of the Lord that comes out of nowhere and the, the elevated heart rate. You have these spiritual experiences and sometimes they're quite dramatic, right? Well, we can idolatrize that as well. So I I don't... Is, is, it, is there danger associated? Yes. Does that necessarily mean that we're breaking the second commandment? 
I would say no because God already blew open those doors for us with the physical manifestation of God in the flesh in Jesus Christ. And I just like the, the fact that he did that is so dramatic in light of the second commandment that it sort of makes me think like, wow, he just shifted the paradigm here for how we're supposed to think about engaging with God personally and physically. I like what you were saying, Ben, about making an idol and bowing down and worshiping the substance of your creation. That's really what's forbidden to having to have an idol that you impart some kind of divinity to this object as opposed to, you know, we're very, um, our minds, we, we learn from stories. And whether the story is a story I'm reading to you or I'm portraying in front of you, for the purpose of transferring the thought or the message, right? For at the moment, the story is itself, the message is the point, not like the actors. And um, I think we're free to do that. And I want to say, couch this all in the idea of how forbidden it is to make an image of Muhammad. And that whole thought, it's, it's forbidden to make an image of him, like the, how mm-hmm. limited that is. Yeah. And the Lord and Jesus, it's not about that way yeah. in Christian faith. Well, and, 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 and I think that, you know, even the, even the way the text is giving us in Exodus 20, or the, sorry, that would be Exodus 31, 4, something like that. With, 30, with the golden calf? Yeah, with the golden calf. I think that's 32. Yeah, so in that neighborhood, you have, you know, again... <laughs> The, the ostensibly the pre the pre runner of the priest of God, which would be Aaron, mm-hmm. saying, "This is your God. Wow. Yeah, this is your God. Not not this is you know this is your God who delivered you out of Egypt." So, in other words, if yeah. I'm understanding you right, he's not saying this is kind of what your God looks like. He's saying this is your God. Yeah. Okay. And I would be like, uh-uh. So if you touch this, you're touching God. Yeah. Got it. You know, and and so in in that type of a thing obviously you know we we would never say that Jim Caviezel's representation of of Christ that's Jesus right, right? we would say yeah. it's an actor portraying nobody's Jesus, praying which, to a Mel yeah, Gibson movie exactly but where i have you know and 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 this goes to maybe a little bit different reason why i don't necessarily go for the chosen is in in every narrative you're going to have to fill in gaps uh-huh. with and 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 some of that involves the actors themselves and how they choose to interpret certain certain things. And I so, do wish they got somebody other than a Catholic to play Jesus. I'm like, come on, man, but yeah. whatever. But, but in the sense of you have, you, you have folks taking artistic license, totally fine, you know, but, but in the sense, I just, I want to remember and I want to hold fast to what I see written in the text and not based upon something that may have an actor's interpretation of a particular event that may stick in my mind a little bit more than the text itself. That's but again, that's personally for me. That's why I, I, I stopped. That's why I did. I don't. I don't watch the. the I don't watch um, the Passion of the Christ anymore. Because I. Because you know, even even the the scourging and the and the and the and what what always struck me is the the intrinsic license of like you know in in the scourging of Christ you see Satan walking, mm-hmm. kind of carrying this the malformed impish like kid right. There is certainly artistic expression happening there. I don't agree with that, and I don't want that invading my interpretation of the text itself of Christ's scourgings or anything like don't that. Don't you do that every time you preach, though? You, I, you summarize what God has said with your own words and fill in gaps where appropriate while saying, hey, we're filling in gaps. Yes, but I'm but, but my, my base, the, the, the foundation is the text itself. And I'm and I'm being sure I'm being I'm, I work I labor hard to divorce myself from my own interpretation of the text to go back to the source and double check. So there's, there's a retrograde kind of um, 
examination. So and if you could do the same thing on film, would you say that's appropriate? Because like in, yeah. in the in the first the first episode of the Chosen, they did something that I really appreciated, and I, I'm not a Chosen apologist. I could I could go with the things that I wish they hadn't done, and this and mm-hmm. that. But this is not one of the things I disagree with. Where they said they had a disclaimer that said, um, you know, this is this is an artistic representation or dramatic representation of the stories in the Bible. This is not authoritative. If you want to know what actually happened, we we ask you to go and read the accounts in yeah. the Gospels, right? And yeah. I'm like, I feel like they just covered a lot of bases with that, right? So then anytime I'm up there preaching and I say, and I read the text, and then I say, basically, here's what God's saying, and I put it in modern-day terms, I'm actually, in some ways, going a step further by contextualizing it in today's um, language or with examples or whatever. I'm going a step further than than doing a visual recreation of the thing that was even at that time according to that culture. And so is it dangerous? Yes. And you, you and I both know preaching is extremely dangerous, right? And mm-hmm. we ought to approach it with fear and trembling. But if, if I'm going to, if I'm going to say those guys can't, then I got to wonder why I can. Yeah. And I guess the question is, and this, 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 this blows, I don't even know if this is really anywhere near the answer to the question, but you know, for example, is the, are the, are the works of the chosen, are they essentially sermons? And would we commend them? To will we commend the sermons of the chosen represented in graphical form? Will we commend those? And the, the, those are all various questions that I would yeah, have. And those and I are have fun. not seen it. So and those, and those are missiological yeah. questions too, because you know you've you've probably seen this on the mission field where we'll do um, we'll do dramas like we'll go to a school and do an evangelistic drama and then invite people to follow Christ. Right. So at that point, like, what's the difference? That's a good question. Oh. Yeah. To which some of our reformed brethren would actually say, "Yeah, stop it." Yeah. Well. Yeah. Some. Do, you, do you think they would if, if the drama doesn't include a, a depiction of Jesus? In other words, not recreating the Gospels, but... So but like a, a passion play, for example, might like, be... Like a, like a lived-out parable. Yeah, that's that probably Dramatic not. Parable. They, they'd be okay with that? I, I, I can't think of anybody objecting to that. Yeah. But, yeah, I think so, it's I think it's those physical representations of Christ. I understand the concern, mm-hmm. and that's and that's more of a personal thing for me. So maybe I'm a softer... I'm, 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 I'm not... I'm not willing to necessarily say that's a violation of the second commandment, but I don't know if it's necessarily wise. So like we uh, like we um, we read from Solomon, like, do not, just pass by the way of evil. You're saying, hey, if there's idolatry down that road, we should probably just pass by it. Yeah, which could also make me a, a contemporary Pharisee because now I'm putting up walls. Where God no, if, as long as, no, you're fine. As long as, as long as you're not saying, you know, God's angry with you if, if you've watched an episode of The Chosen when you don't have a text to support it. Like, I, you're... you're yeah, I don't hear any legalism coming out of you. Yeah. I, I hear protecting of the conscience. Yeah, right? and and again, a lot of this is informed by my own. I mean, there literally was there literally was about two or three weeks where I'm sitting there going, I want to pray to my Savior, and all of a sudden Jim Gabizel's <laughs> face is coming up. I'm like, holy cow, yeah. this is not right. But with that you too, know? I would say there's, there is a snapshot in time where whatever our recent experience is is going to weigh most heavily on, on, our, on our minds. Certainly. And if that happens for a couple of weeks based on an impactful movie that you watch or a show that you watch or whatever that snapshot in time may not mean that you've wandered off the reservation right so like i wouldn't want to burden people's conscience with that either to say if that happens to you then you've committed idolatry yeah maybe it's just a recent memory yeah i mean i i would commend i would actually would commend knowing god and at least interact and at least interact with what with with what packer is saying you know i'm not saying you have to take it look there's 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 aspects of where i i disagree with packer his his whole thing on evangelicals and catholics together i was you know it's like sorry that was too bad there 
You know, it was. I know, and and our he he broke with Sproul on that, and that was that was a sad thing. Now, granted, I still think Jack Packer pretty much is the boss, but oh yeah, you know. Well, and and like I said, Knowing God is one of the best books ever written. Absolutely. So what? And we can we can keeping in step with the spirit, and boy, that gets spicy too. Dude, well, (laughs) yeah, we we could. Oh man, we could go down the Packer road. Woo! Love that guy. Anyway, all right, okay. So I I think if, if I'm if I'm understanding where we landed, I I say no. These things are not necessarily a, these things are not in and of themselves a violation of the second commandment. There's danger to be aware of. Don't commit idolatry, follow Christ, and then artistic expression is okay. You're saying you are cautious about my position to the point where you're ready to disagree or almost ready to disagree. Ish. Fair enough. Yeah. I can respect that. I think it'll sum it up. Uh, our pictures of Christ, a violation of the second commandment. They're not unless they are. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about not being a legalist. There oh, you go, I man. Love it. <laughs> All right. It's like that, if, if it looks like a violation of the second commandment, then it must then be. It's, yeah, if, if it quacks, it's a duck. That was the least pharisaical statement ever uttered, oh, I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> Does it break a law? No. Unless, yeah. Very, very um, good Hebrew thought there. All right. Number two. From someone who is apparently contemplating murder. <laughs> Thank you for reaching out. <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah, please. <laughs> Choose life. Choose life for the other person. <laughs> Is all life equally valuable? Well, one thing I was going to say on the uh, the idolatry question, I was going to read Isaiah 44, but, uh, you know, I didn't. Isaiah 44 is just mocking this whole idea of idolatry and, and uh, praying to something that you have made. Like, this thing wouldn't exist without you. Half of you, you cook half your meal with it. Yep. And then with the other half, so he chops down chops down the wood, cooks half his meal, and then the rest of he fashions an idol, and then he bows down to the idol. He says, you are my God, save me. And Isaiah says, what a moron. Don't do that. That thing yeah. depends on you for existence. You don't depend on it. So anyway, I was going to say, are all lives equally valuable? Um, that guy's cutting it close. <laughs> Anyhow, um, are all lives equally valuable? I think that we have to hit this from two different angles, right? Because there's the eternal angle and then there's the temporal angle. So eternally speaking, mankind is created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them male and female, right? Created them. Yeah. So, yes, in that God shares himself with every human equally in his image. Now, lives have value in society as well as in eternity. And are all lives equally valuable in society? My basic take on this goes back to Genesis 9-6, which you mentioned, uh, I think, last episode, that, um, you know, by if, if a man sheds a man's blood by man shall his blood be shed there are things that you can do to sacrifice your value in the community that you live in or in the earthly economy and so god would say that it is okay to take that life under these circumstances with that given designated authority from a governmental power and so on where he says you're you know 
your life is no longer protected by God. So in other words, I would say, yes, all life in essence is equally valuable. And there are things that we can do to sacrifice that value with our own decisions. I think that's kind of my starting point for processing this. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you're, you're going right back to Genesis chapter nine, right? Where, where God makes his covenant with Noah. And he Mm -hmm. says, you know, whoever sheds the blood of man by man, his blood shall be said for God made man in his own image. The four clause, the because clause is that the violation of that, that image of God. Oh boy, we were just talking about the image of God. <laughs> but that violation of that yeah. is 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 to take it, to take that which God mm-hmm. is imbued with dignity, value, worth, and purpose is as as part of the 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 both the descendants of Adam, the original caretaker of the garden, who was commanded to 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 be fruitful and multiply and go all over all the earth and spread this image, right? Mm-hmm. That that to to affront that. Right, that was a that was a capital offense, and it was it was that violation of it. Why? Because it's God's image, right? So every does every life have a value? Yes. Why? Because it's God's image. Can you and like I like what you said. Can I can I diminish that? Well, yeah. If you, you know, your life is forfeit if Mm -hmm. you affront the image of God, which would be man. So so if there's somebody who has murdered, you know. 150 people in his lifetime and he just runs around killing people. He, he just loves killing people. He's a very killy kind of guy. And we had a chance to time travel and go back and, um, sanction an abortion in that situation. Right. Well, his life was going to eventually not be valuable because he was going to sacrifice the value of that life. So would it be morally acceptable to preemptively snuff out that life? No. So the life of a baby who is, let's just use the word predestined. We're not talking about salvation here, but the the life of a baby who is predestined to commit multiple murders. King Herod. King Hitler. Dude, I was trying. (sighs) I know. I went there. Why? Why do we always have to go to Hitler? Okay, fine. Genghis Khan. King Herod. Yeah. The <laughs> Tim's like Bible, yo. <laughs> Pharaoh. You guys, you guys are arguing about whatever. Yeah. Bible, yo. Yeah. Well, see, now that, that brings up a really interesting point, right? Because these these murderous intentions ended up serving exactly God's purpose of salvation in Christ and in, you know, leading up to that in, in Israel. Of course, Jesus is the true Israel. And they fulfilled prophecy. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's like, it's, it's almost like... Um, like in a snapshot of time to go back to that, that phrase again, you know, we say, okay, we know how the story ends. This guy's going to murder 150 people. And so, you know, we, we've seen the end of the story. Therefore we could make a judgment call that his life is not equally valuable, but God's like, you haven't seen the end of the story. Look at all these fulfillments. Look at what I'm doing over the long haul. I, I made that life for a reason. And the fact is it was God's choice to yeah. form him in his mother's womb. So yeah, I don't think we, I, I don't think in any circumstance we get, with whatever prescience or, or knowledge we think we have, I don't think we get the right to undo no. what God has done. And, well, and that presupposes, and again, it's why is the life forfeit for, you know, in other words, the person who commits the crime, it, that that so the crime hasn't been committed yet, right? So I think there is a temporal aspect of it, and just acting in like pre-crime or something like that, you know, or minority or, you know, report, minority report. Yeah. So come on, no, hold on, we can't do that. Because on our side of things, we don't see that. We yeah. cannot stand in judgment and say, well, you would have. You know, now, you were thinking. 
You know? Right. And I will say this, though. A, a preemptive killing in self-defense okay, is, well, in a, yes. is in a different category, right? Certainly. So I, I, wanna, I just want to specify that because I agree with everything you just said, but that doesn't mean that we got to let somebody kill our kid before oh, no, we no, take no. action. Yeah, right? if there, if, if it, it, I think that there is certainly a way. And, I mean, if I'm trying to remember. I think I think in Levitical laws, there is an aspect of protection yeah. that, of, that allows someone to take a life. And I think not, it's at the end of Exodus if somebody's yeah. in your house, especially if it's dark and you can't tell who they are, something like that. But I don't yeah. want to quote it because I'm going to get it wrong. But I, I would say that in that situation, while taking that life is justifiable that doesn't mean that the life was not valuable it just means that you are rightly taking a valuable life and it is a, certainly a serious offense that needs to be examined mm-hmm. so in other words you know we're not we're not saying that that the guy gets off necessarily scot-free the, the guy like who that. who the, killed in self-defense in self-defense okay. maybe, maybe there is a deep examination right legit i think it should be cool. so, a life has been taken so going through the correct judicial process absolutely should be taken mm-hmm. now at the end of that process does that person was that person acting righteously to protect his home? Okay, fine. Then, yeah, it recognizes the serious... That's why, for example, sometimes we even have manslaughter laws, right? Like, for example, and this is getting into, into United States law versus God's law, but you have the... Well, even in God's law, right? You have you have guys that inadvertently kill somebody. Well, they run to a city of refuge, right? That there's, there's provision for and that. And then there can be a trial, yeah. to your point. But yeah. there is a seriousness to which we take human life and the taking of human life. Right, but that seriousness, the the punishment also can fit the crime. So a man's life is forfeit if he takes another life, especially mm-hmm. if it's a if it, if it's a, a murder in the sense of like Cain and Abel or something like that. Right now, you know what's going to happen though. Some somebody who's like super, you know, woke and hip and whatever mm-hmm. uh, is is going to come along and say, but that hasn't been historically the Christian position. Because some lives were counted as more valuable than others. So let me just set the record straight on this. Christians have been wrong before. <laughs> and even on this issue. Anybody who says that the curse of ham is black skin and therefore black people are cursed. and I mean, nobody's saying that anymore. But, you know, but back in... Actually, there is... Well, I'm sure that there's some moron that's, that's you know, <laughs> smoking something out on the fringes somewhere that's like, no, we, we were right during the Civil War and blah, blah, Yeah, those... Whatever. But, I mean, is there like a serious, intellectually serious movement that's going out on this? Um... I'll have to. I'm going to reserve saying who yet, but oh, yeah, come on. yeah, I can't right now. Really, I want to. I, ma- I want to make sure. I just I read it recently, and I want to make sure that I'm not a, inaccurate. But yeah, it's somebody to whom we've actually quoted. What if I mute the microphones and you just tell me real quick? I'm not going to lie. I just. Uh, I wish I didn't just do that. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, all life is equally valuable. Fair enough. The last I'm episode. sorry, what? Okay, we're going to need to check that out between episodes. Go ahead. Sorry, Tim. The last episode, you talked about Jonah. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh mm-hmm. because of their behavior. And he knows that God will spare them. If God doesn't spare them, God judges them, they die. Mm-hmm. And the Lord tells him to go preach to Nineveh. I mean, what I'm saying is, as Christians, it's really important for us not to have preconceived notions about who we talk to, like Muslims or people from, you know what I mean, or mm-hmm. people who we might put on that list of people who are not reachable. Yep. The or, thief on the cross looked like a pretty unlikely convert. Mm-hmm. We want them to suffer for their behavior. We really don't want them to receive salvation. Mm-hmm. I'm Wait. just saying, uh, unconsciously, we behave that way. I just think 
this is another aspect. Yeah. Is every life worthwhile? Yes, it is. Whoever yeah. it is, yeah. and we have pastors in this church who would been who would have been unlikely converts. Come on now, and five of us yeah. actually by my last yeah, exactly. <laughs> The Lord is all right. Finally, the third question from Bald Betty. Oh, would God be happy if the U.S. outlawed some various sins here? Homosexuality. How about adultery? Making fornication illegal, drunkenness illegal. You get the picture. Would God be happy if the U.S. outlawed these various sins? Theocracy. Let's do it. <laughs> Boom. Theonomy. God's law. Look, in all seriousness, yes, but only if we did it for the right reasons, right? So the it, when when man's law is in accordance with God's law, that is a positive thing. Not only because... God as a divine judge is is happy when people are agreeing with him instead of rebelling against him, but also because God's law leads to flourishing, and he wants human flourishing, and that would lead to that in society. That being said, law apart from gospel just crushes people, and we know this. And so the, the Great Commission is not to reinstitute a bunch of laws, and then that'll make God happy, right? If, if adultery, and we'll get into the homosexuality thing, I think, in more detail here in a second, but let, let's just lay down some principles. If adultery was illegal, God would say that is a positive thing. If, if we just gave God a ballot and said, should we make adultery you know, illegal? He would check yes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because he put that law in, in place for a reason. And morals are moral regardless of... Morals are moral and they are beneficial regardless of the reason for which they are done. However, a society... Let's, let's say hypothetically, and I don't think this would actually happen. Hypothetically, a new society gets formed... And their laws all agree with biblical laws, and yet they bow down to idols and practice voodoo. Is God? Are they under any less judgment from God? Absolutely not. And if Chris, as Christians get into um, political office, shout out Pastor Bill, by the way. Yo, yo, what up, Your Honor? Uh, <laughs> the new mayor of Benton City. Um, as, as Christians get into political office. If they put in place laws or procedures or budgets or whatever that accord with God's law, then great. However, if they get everything they want legislatively, we cannot say that the community is then reached, right? Because we're talking, it's, it's, not, a, it's yeah. not the gospel. Yeah. But the, the, the issue of theonomy, which you brought up there, Ben. So theos is God, namas is law, so God's law, theonomy. The, the movement of theonomy basically means we, we take biblical law in some sense and seek to make that the law of the land. Well, every Christian is a theonomist in some sense because we want, we want to do what God wants to do, and so we're going to advocate for those laws which we know are in accordance with, uh, with God's desires, right? But there's a term that I think Wilson put out recently. Well, I've heard him say it. I don't know if it originated with him. Um, I think it probably did because he just likes to quote himself more than other people. Um, but it's usually very quotable. He, he came out with a term that was uh, general equity theonomy. So in other words, the, God's law being the goal for every society basically means in his explanation of this, that we take the law that's written in the Bible and rather than just copy pasting it into HR, whatever, and making it the law of the land, we take the law that's in the Bible. We see the principle of it, how it benefits mankind because God's law always does. And then we craft laws to seek that same benefit. So it's the general equity. What is the general good being prescribed by this law? And we seek to make that the law of the land. And I think that's pretty hard to disagree with. So he gets a lot of, you know, backlash for being a theonomist and things like that because he claims that term. But when I heard him explain it, he said, I'm into general equity theonomy. And I'm like, I'm down. That's cool. You know? So we can dig into the homosexuality thing, you know, but 
Are we, are we missing anything on a conceptual level? I, I, I think that the only, my only caveat, right? And I think the general equity thing, I mean, I'd have to look at it a little bit more, but I think the, the concept of, for example, well, my mission as a Christian is to establish Levitical laws as part of the, as part of the Constitution of, the, of, of, of Washington or the Constitution of the United States. I, I'm not sure that I would put that as an aspect of the mission. It's my not. mission that's is stupid. to yeah, I know, but that's but in many in many churches we can get distracted by that instead of hey, what is our mission? Our mission is to proclaim the gospel. Yeah, you told yeah. me I'd never heard of this, but you told me about some group in Oregon that was actually trying that. Yeah, like, absolutely. They, they, they wanted the law books to say, "Man shall not lie with man as man lies with woman." It is an abomination to the Lord, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> like yeah. like you know what what if what if you actually get that through? You're going to be like, ah, God is pleased with us. Yeah. And God's answer is, you know, yeah. refer to plan A, go make disciples. Yes. Right? The mission is not to curtail sexual activity. That may be, you know, a derivative of it, maybe down the line, but you go make disciples. Yeah. And, and, and to get, I'm not into the weeds per se, but, but you, if, you start, if you start marrying civil law with, ecclesiastical law for example or church law right all of a sudden the the state has the power to to execute judgments even enact um capital crimes for example for blasphemy or for heresy mm-hmm. right you don't i have seen how this goes yeah we've seen how this goes and it's not gone well i mean you know for for all of the wonderful things that there were going on in geneva we still had the death of servetus mm-hmm. for now granted he was a little bit of a punk walking into churches, you know, basically declaring that, that, you know, declaring anti-Trinitarian stuff. But still, does the state have the right then to take his life? I actually don't you disagree know? with that one. I let's see. I the servitus thing. Yeah. I, the, okay. So background yeah. on this, this is, cause this is a good case study for this. Um, so a lot of the reformers and, and people who were jumping out of Catholicism and into reformed doctrine, whether it was Lutheran or, uh, you know, following Calvin or Beza or, or, um, Zwingli or Hubmeyer or whoever, they they would go to these places, essentially cities of refuge, which, you know, the, the Levitical term that you use there, Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were a Lutheran, you'd flee and go to Germany. And if you were a, uh, or parts of Germany, if you were a Calvinist, you would go to uh, Switzerland and you'd hang out in Geneva. And if you were a Zwinglian, you would go to Zurich uh, in, in Switzerland. So there were these places of refuge. And these guys basically had to figure out how to craft a, a society out of nothing, right? And so the pastors sort of wound up being governors and judges and all of that. And it took them a long time to get this stuff straightened out. And in some ways they never did. But there there had to be capital crimes. There had to be such a thing as capital crimes. And when you're creating a society out of scratch, then the wise men in your society end up being the ones that make those decisions. And pastors have such requirements on them as they are to be trusted with, you know, wisdom decisions. So were some decisions made that were wrong? Yeah. Case in point, uh, Zwingli drowned a bunch of dudes in, uh, in, some lake, I forget which lake it was, but they, they became rebaptizers, and that's essentially where Baptist theology started. They said, hey, our, uh, our, our infant baptism, we've been reading the scriptures, and we don't see it in there. I think we need to be baptized post-conversion. And he said, I got your baptism right here, and he drowned them in the lake. <laughs> you know, So, yeah, dude, Zwingli was a nutcase. Um, but that was, that was a bad thing to do, yeah. at the risk of you know stating the obvious. That was a bad thing to do. Michael Servetus was in Geneva, and he was, yeah, he was running into churches, and he was a heretic that was fleeing from somewhere else. So he was, he was under, the, under the condemnation of death from another society. He came to Geneva. They, they didn't 
kill him. They didn't turn him back over. They made it a city of refuge, but they had laws and they were very clearly stated what you could die for. And one of them was disrupting the, um, uh, the order of the church in certain ways. And he did it repeatedly and got repeated warnings and arrestings and so on. And so they ended up killing him. Now, Calvin gets a bad rap for this. Um, I will just say this. Calvin voted in the consistory of, um, of you know, uh, pastors that was there and, and who were kind of quasi-governors. He voted for, a, I think it was a hanging instead of burning at the stake. And they he got outvoted on that. So they burned him at the stake, which they should not have done. That is an inhumane way of going about it. But all they were doing there was following their laws, you know. And should they have had different laws? Yeah. And that's what it looks like when a society develops. I mean, the history of of the people that got off the Mayflower is stinking horrendous, you know, as far as like what jurisprudence looked like. So I'm, I'm not going to throw a lot of rocks for the Michael Servetus thing. I think, I think that's a, that's a red herring, but to, to the larger point about theonomy, it doesn't, it doesn't accomplish God's mission. And you can see that in Geneva, right? And you can, and the whole cluster of issues surrounding that, there was a lot of great doctrine that came out of there, but there wasn't a lot of actual great commission work that got done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So now foundational stuff that we use today, sure. But they had the Christian society with Christian laws. Yeah. And the Great Commission didn't get done. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, does, is God, uh, so, so getting, getting back to the, the question, in, in particular, these various laws, right? You know, against adultery or against, you know, against homosexual acts and things like that, right? Okay. Well, um, I think one, you know, one of the things that we understand, even from Romans chapter 13, is that the government is there to commend those things which are good. I think that might actually be Titus. But No, you're right. That's Romans 13. Yeah, yeah. so you have you have the idea that government is supposed to be, at certain levels, saying this is good and this is bad. And mm-hmm. then when the government takes, for example, an, an, oppos- an opposing stance, for example, against God's law, then you can say, well, no, the government's now advocating for something which I am... Uh, especially in areas of conscience or in areas of my own personal morality, saying, well, you that's not right anymore. You can't believe that. So when our government says you can't say or it is wrong to say that, you know, that men are men and biological women are biological women, you can't confuse. The, and when, when we understand that, that God says they were made male and female, and it wasn't something that they could just interchange whenever they wanted. But the government says, okay, no, you have to respect that so-and-so now believes that they're a, you know, that John now believes his name is Jane, and you have to treat him as such. No can do. Yeah. You know, so the, the interesting thing about that, the moment of confession here, I am very uncomfortable with that text in Romans 13 that says the government is there to reward good. I'm fine with the punish evil part. I, I like the idea... Of now, this is this is my libertarianism coming out, right? The, I'm not a libertarian, but I got plenty of libertarian leanings, um, and the I'm fine with a government that is there to punish evil. When somebody crosses a line, the government there to enforce. I guess that's not a very libertarian thing to say, actually. Um, the, the government there to enforce punishments on evil, but I don't like the idea. And I'm I'm, I'm telling you, I'm disagreeing with God here, and I've, I've had to say like, okay, God, change me. But this is where I go. I don't like the idea of a government saying what is good. Because my thing is, why don't you stay out of any declaration of good and evil? And the reason I think this is because, you know, we, we live in a time where our government has sacrificed all of its moral authority. And when they tell me something's good, my attitude is, how the frick would you know? Back off. Like, you're the same idiots that are murdering babies and funding it with my tax dollars. Don't tell me what's good. You, you have no ability to say it, right? Yeah. So I get, I get chippy about that. But God just disagrees. 
He's like, no, they are there to say that some things are good, which means that the government does have a divine mandate to make moral judgments. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sit well with me these days, but it's just true. Yeah, It's just the way it is. So then, does the government have the right to say certain sexual practices are good or evil, and the laws will accord with them? Now, I don't want to go there if you're going to read something else. The text nope. gives priority. Go for ahead. Okay. Well, I mean, that, no, that's, that's the question on the table, though, right? Does, does the government have the ability from God within its divine mandate to say certain sexual practices are good or evil. Well, and then you have even, for example, Isaiah, what's it, 5, 20, right? Woe to you who call good evil and mm-hmm. evil good. Mm-hmm. We do have a, we have a definition of what is good and what is evil. And, I, and you know, you, you even see the principle of, of the apostles. Oh, I want to say it's um, Acts 6, right, where... It might be early, it might be a little bit earlier where where you know they're brought in before the Sanhedrin they're commanded not to not to preach this Jesus that we must obey God rather than men so mm-hmm. in the areas where the law the the governing authorities and the scriptures agree great where they don't agree sorry hard pass yeah yeah so at the risk of sounding like a theonomist but again all Christians are on some level right then yes, God has said what is good and what is bad. He said it in his law. And when a government accords with that, that's a good thing. So then to specifically with deviant sexual practices, and, and we say homosexuality, but our culture is so far past that being oh, yeah. the primary Remember, issue. Adultery too. Fornication, uh, right? Adultery like that, 2.0. Uh, that, yeah. that episode we did on Andy Stanley. Yeah. Where he was like, he was fine with fine with a couple of gay dudes, but he, he was like, oh, but that one is still married and he's, he's committing adultery. That's wrong. And we're just like, what? <laughs> yeah, where's your line, dude? Yeah, put down the scissors and pick up the entire Bible. Quit chopping stuff out of it, you knucklehead. So anyway, the, the point there is whatever deviant sexual practices are, and well, let me define the norm because to have a deviance, you have to have a, a standard, right? So the standard is heterosexual monogamous sexual practices inside of a marriage between a man and a woman that is intended to go on for the life of uh, of as long as both parties are alive, all right? So that is that is the standard. That's the, that's the fireplace inside which this fire of sexual activity is designed to burn. So anything outside of that, for a government to say, hey, we are not going to bless and sanction that action. We're not going to call it good because it's not and because the effects of it clearly show otherwise. Even if your leaders are not Christians, they can say, no, family is good. Family is the foundational unit of all society. And these things... Um, chip away at family, and therefore they are demonstrably not good. When you lose the ability to say that, yeah, it's it's evil, and you're sacrificing your governmental mandate. Yeah, and yeah. and we have histories of where governments actually have forbidden marriage, and 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 the church has done the opposite. They have in fact given marriages. You know, there was whether it was taxation or whether it was a cost or anything like that. There were they barriers. performed ecclesiastical yep. marriages. Well, uh, yeah, and they and they said, yeah. You're married. You know, if, if I'm remembering correctly, and I'm totally off the doming this here, so I could so barely evaluate this Oberian listener. Um, I, I believe St. Valentine, right, was 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 one who, who would perform marriages. Oh, yeah, I don't and, know. And, and so when, when it was forbidden by the government, and so that was... That well, it's happening the, now. I was over in Namibia, and the, the government is so oppressive with, with their dowry laws that most young men can't afford to get married because the father of the bride can set the price at whatever he wants. And when you got a peasant who's working somebody else's farm and the dad sets the dowry of 50 cows because that's his his you know retirement package, the, the guy's like, I'm never going to have 50 cows. I'm, I'm never going to be able to afford one. And so they are essentially 
in you know de facto it's it's a de facto forbidding of marriage and so the church is stepping in saying guys we we hold marriage in high regard hebrews 13 4 right the society is setting you up so that you cannot get married we want you to have families so we're gonna so they're doing ecclesiastical yeah. marriages over there yeah right? so to so for the so for the church to say even no we respect marriage we respect mm-hmm. what god has designed and we're going to stand for that i think that that is perfectly appropriate and when is is god happy when when a government chooses to to bless those things which he has called good i would say certainly does does that mean that that um that we must advocate for capital punishment on on certain sexual practices no i don't no, think that we was, go that route well and that's a great point because a a true down the line hardcore theonomist would say hey it was in leviticus it's in 18 so it's got, it, that should be part of our law as well. Well, I would say they are uh, hermeneutically um, off base a little bit because that cut and paste from Israel's law, it was, was overturned by Romans 13, which says you are now under a certain government and it's okay for them to make laws that are not direct quotes from Leviticus. And yeah. so we actually get to make laws now that have more, more grace than yeah. the law of God, right? We get we get to make laws with taking into account love of neighbor who is not a member of our religion, which was not a big part of the Levitical law. I mean, unless you got sojourners that are ready to convert, but we we get to do those things now. So, should we advocate? Should Christians advocate for you know capital punishment? Yeah, for, for the death penalty yeah. for for homosexuals? Certainly not. No, no. And and if you say if you say yes to that, then what we, the discussion we need to have is the first Timothy one discussion, the proper use of the law. Yeah. Right. What are you looking at there? You about to read something? Nope. I was, I was flipping over to something else. No worries. Got it. Yeah. So, uh, I think, I think that's about, Oh, there is one other thing I wanted to bring up though with that deviant sexual practices cause a lot of damage to humanity, to mankind. There's physical harm. There's, I mean, everything from, from the spread of diseases to abuse. And you see what's happening now, as far as um, normalizing the sexualization of children, this is, a natural consequence of accepting deviant sexual practices to begin with. I mean, yeah. for the last 50 years, ever since, um, uh, who was that guy? That, well, I guess 70 years now. Who was that guy that wrote the book in the fifties? Um, Dr. Spock. No, is it Kins? Kinsey. 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 Yeah, yeah. Alfred yeah. Kinsey. Yeah. Ever since he wrote that, um, you know, his, his book about female sexuality or male sexuality, or there were sequels and stuff. People have been yelling, slippery slope, slippery slope. And then after like 50 years, people were like, what you're whining about the slippery slope. Jeez, you know, like, look, it's not that bad. Well, now we are at the bottom of the slope. We're there. There's no more slope to go down, you know? And so it, it given, given enough time, deviant sexual practices cause an immense amount of damage, death, bloodshed, abuse, and, and various other forms of carnage, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Well, and so for a real quick though, yeah. for a, a government to say we are not going to allow that because it damages the weak, that yeah. is a good thing. So it's a, there's a defense mechanism built into oh, that. Certainly, and and when the government does adopt procedures that actually reward, you know, deviant sexual behavior, for example, children out of wedlock, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you're there's damage to societies, and we're, we're and, funding fatherlessness absolutely. in the home, 
yeah. and you see that you, you and and uh, you see that in all different kinds of the communities. But it's interesting that even even thinkers like you know Thomas Sowell and a couple of like Larry Elder, a lot of these guys in the in 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 the African American community saying, "Hey, look, we're being rewarded for this. This is something that is actually destroying our society, our culture." Right? Mm-hmm. You know, granted, you know, the, you can you can go that down the weeds, and we can. I, I'm not saying I'm not I'm not trying to advocate for for any you know, any crazy laws that, but, but, but in the sense of, look, we're saying that, that you can have children out of wedlock and the government's going to pay for it. And what does that do? It just, it, 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 I know that soul, I know that elder, I know that um, there's a ton of other guys. <laughs> and there was Bill saying, Cosby before he went all Bill Cosby. Exactly. Honestly. And they're saying, Oh my gosh, we have literally destroyed our society. And I granted again, Bill Cosby's a bad example. I didn't yeah. want to bring him up, <laughs> but, but in the sense of just looking at it from a purely societal you know, again, general revelation, you could say, yeah. kind of an aspect. When you eliminate fatherhood, when you eliminate the family, when you eliminate all these things, what happens with society? It you get mo- you get more of what you reward. Yep. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, Jesus deserves disciples. Go be one. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love him because he first loved us.